Lord, we love you. Thanks. <sighs> thanks for building your house of prayer. God, thanks for bringing ones like Mel and so many others, God, here that you've joined them to this place, and this purpose, and this mandate. It's clearly a work of heaven and not a work of man. Lord, we are grateful that our city is one of the blessed cities in the earth. We are grateful, God, that you would give Atlanta night and day prayer. Thank you for setting watchmen on the wall. God, I'm asking for finances to flow into the house of prayer that your Levites wouldn't be marginalized. God, that they'd be able to follow the mandate that you've given them with free hearts and abandonment. Lord, we love the journey. We love the faith walk. We love what it means to have to trust God. We love it. So God, we're asking, would you honor that? Lord, we are so grateful to be able to do this. If we got zero dollars, God, we are so grateful that we could do this. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, I'm asking for tonight, you'd release a spirit of wisdom and revelation upon this house. Pray that the word of God would come alive to our hearts. Abba, we love you. We love you. I pray that tonight you'd give us revelation of your delight. Give us revelation of your delight. We are so amazed that you delight in us. Oh, we love you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Okay, turn with me to Isaiah 42. Shannon, wonderful. Shannon, if you just give me a little bit more here. Thank you. And I'll pull away if you'll just give me some more. I promise not to blow everybody's ears up. Isaiah 42. We are on part five. We're teaching on the Father heart of God. We took a little break last week. We had Will Ford in. And uh, I would really encourage you, if you didn't get that message, grab, grab one of the CDs. Really good. Really good. <clears throat> we had a real good time with Will and um, felt like the Lord gave us a great relationship with him. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off. We're going to go at least tonight and at least one more week on the Father Heart message and just continue to um, ask the Lord to reveal to us who He is as a Father. This is a, I, I am convinced more and more, the more that we go into this, this is absolutely one of the essential messages uh, for, for us here, but for the church at large. This generation just doesn't have this revelation of who the Father is. We don't have concepts right concepts of the Father, and we need them. To rightly relate to God, we must have the right concept of the Father. And so, He's been gracious to us, and I'm, I'm asking tonight that He would open it up to us in even a greater measure and draw us in. So Isaiah 42, I just want to start with a few verses we've touched on in previous weeks. It says, Isaiah 42 says this, Behold my servant, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul 
delights. My elect one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And then it goes on in verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. This passage is so powerful to us, especially those of us that are Gentiles, because it's a clear prophetic word that Jesus is going to be a light to those that have never known God, to nations that have been foreign from God. Jesus is going to be a light to, to Gentiles. And it, 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 it ex, uh, espouses the love of the Father for the Son. He goes, behold. I like to think of the behold as the divine voila. It's, it's God saying, I am going to show you something now that will surprise you and stun you. Behold. He goes, my servant, my elect one, the one I've chosen. He goes, I want to show him to you. He goes, the one I uphold. He goes, I'm never going to let him fail. I'm going to stand with him, stand by him. He's the one that I've considered from eternity past. I, I've elected him and chosen him. Now, you can probably bring me down a smidge because I'm real loud now. That's really good. I like more than less. And so, it goes on and he says, And this one that I've chosen, he goes, I delight in him. My soul delights in this one. He goes, I've got feelings. That's what he's talking about. He goes, I've got feelings and my emotions, my soul. The Lord is saying his emotional realm is moved with delight and pleasure over this one. Oh, that's good. Can you imagine the, uh, the emotions of the, the father over the son? I mean, talk about a proud papa. I mean, the father from eternity past looking down through the ages into the plan of God, the only one that will be begotten of the Father, the Son, Jesus. And the Lord says, I am overjoyed about this one. He goes, he's my elect one. He's the one I uphold. He will not fail. I have chosen him. And my emotions are moved by him. My emotions are moved. There's something moving in the heart of God. Because of the Son. He goes, I've called him. And I love verse 6. He goes, and I will hold your hand. He's speaking to the Son. He goes, I will hold your hand. It's just what Mel was saying earlier. She goes, I'm in the desert by myself. And the Father's saying to her, I will hold your hand. I tell you, when it gets hard, when stuff gets messed up, when life looks impossible, you know where I go? Isaiah 42, verse 6. I go, um, Daddy, there's the hand. I need you right now to hold my hand. He goes, I've been holding it. I go, well, I don't know how I got in this mess if you're holding my hand. He goes, no, I've led you into the mess to bring you through the mess. I'm holding your hand. I go, okay, Dad, you know better than me. He goes, I will hold his hand. I will keep him and I will give him. And that's our plot. He goes, I'll hold your hand, I will keep you safe, and I will give you away to nations. To nations. I tell you, it's interesting. In the house of prayer, I've probably met more people called to the nations in the prayer room 
And the Lord is doing something unique. He's drawing them in to the place of the wilderness. He's drawing them into the place of intimacy. He's drawing them in to, to uh, intimacy with his heart to encounter. And then he's going to send them. I don't know how it's all going to work. But he's going to send little houses of prayer all over the globe. Ones that have carried the reality within them. And so I sit in a room all day with a bunch of other people that sit in the room all day. And they talk to a God they cannot see. And God is forging a reality of intimacy and authority within them. And, and it's funny because you'll just talk to people and they go, yeah, I feel like I'm called to the nations. And somebody says, well, what are you doing in the house of prayer? You go, I don't know, I'm called to the nations. Well, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's holding their hand. And he's keeping them. And in a minute, he's going to give them away. That's how he does it. A minute might be five or ten years. But that's how he does it. And he, what he does is he forges the reality, puts it deep in their heart, and then that reality never goes away so missionaries don't burn out in 18 months on the mission field anymore. They stay alive in love with a reward on the inside of intimacy with the uncreated God and their hearts are glowing because they know the man Christ Jesus. He goes, I'll hold your hand and I'll keep you and I'm going to give you away covenant to the people and a light to the Gentiles. So the Lord is saying all these things over the sun. And then if you flip over to John 17, I'll just read it for time's sake. He goes, Jesus praying his high priestly prayer there at the end of his life. He says, Father, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. And when you take John 17, 23, and you combine it with Isaiah 42, 1 through 6, all of a sudden you begin to realize that the Father doesn't just feel that way about Jesus. The Father feels that way about us. He looks at little old you and me and he goes, my elect one, the one I uphold, the one that I'm going to keep, the one who moves my emotions, the one who I will hold your hand. See, that's just as much for you and I as it is for Jesus. The Father never wanted us to think that he loved Jesus in a way different than he loves us. He loves us just the way he loves Jesus. In fact, the spirit of adoption tells us that he has made us joint heirs. He split the inheritance with Jesus with us. He took Jesus, the only begotten, the firstborn, and he splits the inheritance and he makes us co-heirs. He says, you are just as much my son as my son. You are just as much my daughter as my son. It's just as real my relationship with you as it is with my son Jesus. All the delight that I feel over Jesus, I feel it over you. It's powerful if we allow that to impact our heart. Somehow we think the spirit of adoption means that we're second class citizens, we're sort of like stepchildren, we're sort of just got in, you know, just by some, you know, mess up you know language in the contract we just happen to sneak through the loophole and god let us in somehow he goes no 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 i've always planned to have a family and i wanted children who were joint heirs with my son and i wanted to put a, my spirit in them and that spirit would testify to their hearts it would tell them that they're children of god and that spirit would say through them abba and abba we've already heard this once but abba is the word that only those in the house that were uh, actual children could call the master of the house, the father of the house. See, all the servants in the house, they could all relate to the, the master of the house and they could call him pater, which is a, a formal word for father. 
But only the blood children could call him Abba. So when God releases His Spirit into your heart, and the, the Spirit of God is testifying that you're the son and uh, daughter of God, that the, and then the Spirit of God is inside of you, crying out from within you, Abba, it's telling you that you are just as much a child of God as His natural child, Jesus, is a child of God. You are adopted, and you're not second class. You are really adopted you are really chosen. You are really His. And there is no separation between the natural and the adopted children. He gives you the, the same spirit. And that spirit inside you says, Daddy. And He goes, I want you to call me Daddy. It's powerful. And that's the Father that we have in Christ. And the spirit of adoption tells us that He loves us the same way He loves Jesus. He thinks about us the same way he thinks about Jesus. He feels about us the same way he feels about Jesus. We don't have to live estranged from the Father because his emotions are moved by us the same way they're moved by Jesus. These are things that we must meditate on. We've got to get them in our hearts. You can't hear it in a message and go, man, I totally believe that. Why? Because we've got so many barriers and blinders and so much experience and so many things shouting to us that the, the, the father figure of the father isn't that way. But I'll tell you, he is absolutely that way. He is so kind. He is so, I mean, just, I just don't have a better word. He is just sweet on you. He is absolutely delirious with delight over you. He likes you a lot. So I'm going to hammer a point now. I'm going to use a few verses, and I'm going to hammer one point for the rest of our time tonight. Now, turn over to Psalm 16. I've just given you a little recap there. Psalm 16, verse 3. We already found out in Isaiah 42 that we are the one in whom his soul delights. Psalm 16, verse 3, I just, uh, there's about 10 that use this term, delight. It talks about God delighting in his people. God delighting in his people. And I just picked Psalm 16, 3 just because I like it. It says, as for the saints who are on the earth, this is the Lord speaking, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I can imagine that. Can you imagine that? The Father is saying that over you and I. You are one in whom is all of my delight. That's what the Father says. And so he's saying it this way. He goes, there's something that moves my heart. All the movements of my heart, and this is what he's really saying, goes, all the movements of my heart happen because of something. And, and that thing that causes all the movements of my emotions to, to feel pleasure and ecstasy and good and delight, all the, the things that cause my, my emotions to feel splendor, he goes, it's all one thing. He goes, it's the saints. It's you. I started thinking about that, and I realized this. 
we have a mentality on, about God that God is the one who gives pleasure. If, if we've even gotten there yet, you know, many people think God doesn't like pleasure. <laughs> you know, he's kind of mad all the time and kind of has a furrowed brow. And if he gives something, it's kind of with a sort of a backhand and a bad attitude. No, God is full of pleasure. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Verse, I think it's 11 right there says it. And it's fullness of joy in his presence. So he's a good God. So we get there and we go, see, he's always giving pleasure. He's always giving joy. Joy and pleasure are always emanating out of him. And that is absolutely 100% true. And we sort of have this mentality that God is emanating pleasure and emanating joy, but it would be sort of beneath him for him to actually be experiencing pleasure. Because he's the, he's the source of life, and, and, you know, he is the light, and, and he is, you know, he is supreme, and he is, you know, he's, he's omniscient, omnipresent, he's big God. I mean, surely he doesn't, like, feel pleasure. No, surely he does feel pleasure. He absolutely feels pleasure. And it is a completely, biblically established fact that God takes pleasure in his people. And so if we get, if we even start to believe, okay, so God actually like takes pleasure in people, we go, huh, okay, well, I know how it goes. He kind of looks at us and goes, oh, that little guy, he's so cute. Aw. Oh, look at her. She's so sweet. And he sort of has this, you know, big daddy kind of, you know, grandpa-ish kind of, oh, aren't you cute? You know, like kind of, you know, nudge you on the chin, you know, sort of pat you on the back. Aren't you nice? But Psalm 16, 3 totally makes it different than that. He goes, all of my delight, all of the pleasure, let's say it this way, all of the splendor that I experience, all of the ecstasy that I experience, that the Father experiences, all of it is wrapped up in one reality, people. And we have got to get past believing that God doesn't experience pleasure and delight. God absolutely experiences pleasure and delight. He is absolutely the one who offers pleasure and delight. But you know what? He wants to be fully engaged in the interchange of pleasure and delight as it relates to love. The God who is love, hello, he wants to be loved. And somehow we think, no, that's just sort of below him. He's love and he doesn't want to be loved, you know, but he's so kind. He just loves us anyway, even though we're terrible at loving. And, he, you know, we just offer this terrible love to him and it's just so weak and it's just kind of a joke. But, you know, he sort of accepts it and goes, oh, aren't you cute? No, no, I tell you, it's totally different. It's totally different. When we offer love to God, the heart of God is moved with volcanic proportions. The son says it this way, you have ravished my heart with one look of your eye. And Jesus Christ is the express image of the father. All that Jesus is as the son, as the bridegroom, so is the father as the father. And so when the son says, I've been ravished by a glance, by a little movement of you toward me, he goes, I'm moved in my emotions, I'm ravished, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overcome. You've stolen my heart. When the bridegroom says that, he is also testifying of a reality that's taking place in the heart of the Father. And that reality is this. When we give love to the Father, he's experiencing pleasure 
in his soul. Big time pleasure. If we can even get to the place where we go, well, maybe he is actually taking delight in us. We go, oh, it's little delight because we're so weak. Our love is so weak and immature, it can only offer just barely any pleasure to God. But it's totally different. Jesus says, one glance overcomes me. And he's the express image of the Father. So one little movement of your heart toward the Father, I tell you, it sends volcanic proportions of ecstasy into the heart of the Father. It's the first time, you know, my son looks at me and goes, Dada. And I go, oh, did you, hello, did you hear that? Did, say it again, man. And I'm going, just, I mean, I'm going bonkers over the first time my little boy goes, Dada. He ain't even, Dada, that's just two D's and two A's. He doesn't know what that is, but he's trying to say something that sounds like my name. And when he says that, I go, yeah, do it again. I mean, I'm so alive. Does it matter that it's weak? Does it matter that he doesn't have a clue? Not at all. What matters is that I'm in love and that there's a key to my heart. The key to the pleasure in my heart is a little bit of movement from my child towards me. And that's the way the father is. That's how he is. He is absolutely moved when you Say his name. These are the excellent ones, he says, in whom is all my delight. We've got to get away from believing that receiving pleasure is way below God. It's absolutely biblically established that he is moved, volcanically moved in his emotions when we turn toward him. God The infinite God, the uncreated God, the infinite one is moved emotionally by the finite. The uncreated one is moved in his emotions, immensely moved with pleasure and ecstasy and splendor. He's moved by the creation. How tender is he that he could subject his heart to movements of our heart toward him. Who is he? We tend to think of him nowhere near this tenderly. We tend to think of him like not even really sort of desiring our affections. We think of that as being way beneath him. He's so far above that. But I tell you that word, in whom is all my delight, it's also in whom is all my desire. The Father wants to experience love with you. He wants to experience it. He wants to experience your love toward him. Now, he's amazing because he will love completely without condition and give love away continually without expectation. He'll just continually love. He is love. He'll give love all day long without any requirement, but there is desire in his heart for his children to love him. He wants to be loved. 
That word delight is desire. He goes, this is, these are the excellent ones, in whom is all my desire. What's he saying? He goes, I desire them. I desire to move back and forth in love with my children. I was in a time of prayer here. Um, I don't know, it's been a couple months. And um, I, was, I went into this, this time of uh, weeping and wailing. And, and it's interesting to me because when I go into those moments, I, I'm an absolute mess. But what I'm hearing from the Lord is crystal clear. It's, it's really astounding to me, to, from my vantage point. And I'll hear the Lord really crystal clear to me. And he, and he spoke to me and he said this. He said, Jesus Christ, the most unloved man who ever lived. And I, um, I started meditating on that. I thought about Jesus and how freely he gives love. How lavishly he gives love. How continually he gives love to everyone. I mean, to the, the murderer in prison. To the radical Muslim. I mean, to the just the worst sinner alive. He's absolutely pouring love toward that one. He loves them. And I started thinking about this. Jesus Christ, the most unloved man who ever lived. The amount of love that Jesus reaches towards humankind with compared to the amount of love that Jesus receives from mankind. His love quotient is so far in the negative, it's ridiculous. He's always loving and rarely receiving love. I started touching something in the Lord that day as I was considering what that would be like. To love, what if you loved all day long and no one ever loved you back? What if you had that kind of a capacity to love, yet the love that you received was minuscule? And I just began to fellowship with him there, I was just weeping. Just weeping. I just thought about the son and what kind of a radical lover he is. I thought about how it's just, it's so extreme from him and so minuscule to him. And I, then I thought, began to think about, well, then what is the response of his heart when I actually begin to fill the desire for love in him with my little I love you. It's the same for you. When you turn to him and you say, I love you. I mean, he's not a dying man of thirst in the desert, but it's like giving a dying man in the desert, I mean, just a couple drops of water. Because his love quotient is so Small. Jesus Christ, the most unloved man who's ever lived. 
I started considering the Father. The Father so freely loves the world that He gives His only begotten Son. He has this lavish gift of love. No father is going to sacrifice his son. I'm not going to go walking out there with my oldest boy and just destroy him for someone else. I'm just not. You know what I mean? It's just not in me. I'm going to hold him tight and protect him. Yet the father does it for all humankind. He, he, he lets his son be torn to shreds. He, he, and then he allows himself to be separated from his son. This lavish gift of love, Jesus, to all humankind. People disdain the lavish gift. They, they don't esteem it. They reject God's lavish gift of love in the son, Jesus. They turn away from it. They spit on it. They mock it. They don't comprehend this gift. Sort of thinking about it. You know, God gives us the gift that's the greatest possible gift that God can give. And it's the greatest possible gift for us. And humankind, beloved, in mass, rejects the gift. It's the best thing he can give and it's the best thing we can receive. And in mass, in majority, we fully reject the gift of love. Father, what is the response of the heart toward the Father when one goes, Daddy, thank you for this gift. I love you. Thank you for giving me the gift of your son. I tell you, there is a volcano of expression that takes place in the heart of the Godhead when we love him back. I'm telling you, the one who is infinite has subjected himself in his emotions to humans and allowed us to touch him and move him. And beloved, when we move him by giving him love, it's not just a little, it's, it's, I mean, it's explosive in God. I think this, I go, oh, you mean I, I can tell you I love you and your heart expresses experiences pleasure you get pleasure from me he goes all my delight is in you i go so i pray and your heart is touched with splendor he goes i delight in the prayer of the upright what i say help and you feel ecstasy he goes it's exactly how it goes I say, Daddy, please, and your heart explodes with joy. You feel wonder because of my little words to you. See, I'm convinced this. All the pleasure and the splendor and the beauty and the the wonder that you feel, your best day in the presence of the Lord. Think about it. Go to that place, your best day, in your best encounter you ever had, the one that made the newsletter, whatever, that encounter, I mean, you're shaking, trembling, laughing, crying, I mean, whatever, backflipping, whatever you're doing, go to that moment, you're experiencing God in a way that's overwhelming your heart, right? Take that, multiply it by a thousand, and I'm convinced that's what the Father's feeling. Here's how it come. You and I 
are, are dealing with all sorts of barriers to experiencing the pleasures of love. We've got the flesh. We've got the carnal mind. We've got experiences in life. We, you know, we're troubled with, you know, the, the word father. I mean, like, just to even get past father. I mean, you know, so half of us, that word just throws us into a tizzy. You know, it's like, can we call him something else? You know, we've got bad experiences. We've all sorts of mentalities and paradigms and all sorts of things that keep us barriers all around us. And we can experience pleasure in his presence. Yet he, he doesn't have one hang-up. He doesn't have one barrier. He has nothing stopping him from experiencing the full impact of love in his soul. And when you turn to him, I'm telling you, there is a volcanic explosion of pleasure released in the Father that you and I don't have a grid for. In fact, we won't have a grid for it until we're there with him. And then, beloved, this thing is going to go up a few notches. And I'm telling you, the flowing back and forth of pleasure and splendor and ecstasy between God and us it is going to be absolutely something that we have never considered. Yet, I tell you right now, your weak little yes, your help God, your I love you, is releasing an explosion in the soul of God. It's releasing delight in Him at the highest measure. When we begin to understand that we move Him, you'll have confidence to come before Him. I mean, you really will have confidence to stand before him and say, I love you. You won't think of prayer as a chore. You're releasing delight inside of the divine. You know, we kind of sit there and go, it's got to, you know, we think it's only good for me. I mean, I'm feeling his presence and I love this worship song and the music's so good and the presence of the Lord. I love the house of prayer because I feel God. God goes, I love the house of prayer because I feel you. All day long, incense is rising to me and it's moving my soul all day long. Not just a little, in big proportions. So you mean to tell me, if I nuzzle up next to him just a little bit, it releases pleasure in him in a way that I can't even comprehend. That's exactly what it is. When you look at him, when you draw near to him, the Father is moved with delight. He goes, all my delight is in the excellent ones, my saints. I was thinking about... Uh, I was thinking about the enemy. I had an image in my mind this week and I, I saw one that was like the devil and one that was like God and I saw the devil take his thumb and shove it into the eye of the one that was like God. I thought, huh, that's interesting. He's trying to thumb him in the eye, you know, like poke him in the eye. And the Lord began to minister to me about all the attacks of the enemy. And we understand that Every stronghold is exalted against the knowledge of God. Every attack that the enemy uh, comes up with, that he frames out, is trying to destroy 
the knowledge of God the way we think about God. He's trying to pervert who God is. I started to understand something, that he is trying to pervert the way God is in my mind. Why? So I won't approach God. So what is he doing? Is he trying to come against me? Or is he trying to come against God? I thought about that for a minute. I thought, you know, he is absolutely trying to destroy humans. And I used to always say, well, of course he's trying to destroy humans because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And he can't beat up God, so he's trying to destroy God's picture. You know, he's like, I hate you, God, so I'll break your picture. He's coming after humans. But then I started realizing this. He was there in the eternal councils and had insight into many of the inner workings and, you know, uh, of what's going on in the throne room. He had some understanding of the plan for humankind. I started thinking about this. Perhaps the entirety of the devil's perversion of the knowledge of God in the minds of men is more about the devil trying to hit God where it hurts than trying to hit us. Because if he can steal intimacy from the heart of the Father, he can inhibit him from receiving pleasure. And if he can destroy those whom God has wrapped up all his delight in, he'll steal. He'll hit God in the emotions. You see, because if he stops me from approaching God, that's where God gets pleasure. So if he hits me, perverts the way I think about God, so I don't approach God, now he's hit God in the emotions. I thought about that. And then Zechariah 2, it says this interesting thing. He who attacks you attacks the apple of his eye. See, the apple of his eye, we know what that means. We know it's an idiom. And essentially what it's talking about is the apple of the eye is the, the, the innermost part of the eye, the center of the eye. It's if I'm staring at you and you can see your reflection in my eye, you're in the apple of my eye. That, the iris down in the middle. The apple of the eye is the one that the eye is set on. The apple of the eye is the one that the attention is given to. The apple of the eye is the one that is focused on, the one who affection is focused on. And so when the enemy touches us, he's touching the apple of God's eye. He's trying to thumb him in the eye. I thought, that's amazing to me. So the devil hates me, and yes, he's trying to kill me, but he's trying to kill me because I'm the one that releases splendor in God's heart. It's not just about you. The devil hates God. (laughs) Then I started thinking about when God delivers me from the attack of the devil. And see, we kind of make it so personally focused, but we, kind of, we don't understand really what's moving in the heart of the Father. Here's why. David says this in Psalm 18. He says, he delivered me because he delights in me. He goes, God stepped in and intervened because he didn't want the one he delights in to be stopped from 
releasing delight in his own heart. See, we think God's delivering me because I need something. And yes, he is. He's taking care of all of our needs. But I want to even take it up a notch. God goes, you're the one I delight in? He goes, I like you a lot. He goes, you release pleasure inside of me? And there's splendor going off in me when we talk? Because I'm experiencing massive amounts of pleasure from being with you? Do you think I'm going to let the devil take you out? He goes, I like you far too much for that. I will deliver you because I delight in you. I'm moved by you. I'm touched in my heart by you. Beloved, if we can begin to believe that when we turn our face to the Father, that it's releasing something massive inside of Him, it will absolutely transform our approach to God. And I tell you, it's absolutely biblically, I mean, established, scripturally established. It's full on established throughout the scriptures. God delights in people. Pleasure is released in God because of people. When we pray, it's released, it releases pleasure in Him. When we turn to Him, it releases pleasure in Him. When we choose righteousness, pleasure is released in Him. When we fellowship with Him, pleasure is released in God. I don't know, but that somehow puts a dignity upon who we are as a kingdom of priests that I never thought of before. There's a dignity upon us as sons and daughters that I never considered. And there's a tenderness in his heart that's beyond what I've imagined him to be like. You know what he is? He's the dad that just wants his boy to give him a call. He's the dad that just wants his daughter to give him a ring. For no reason. He likes to hear your voice. It releases something otherworldly inside of him. Can you imagine the God who is love gets moved by our weak love? What is that? The dignity of this whole thing is astounding. It makes me want to run from here and talk to him. It, it makes me want to turn off the television and talk to God. I mean, for real. Okay, do I want to go watch two hours of a digital Spider-Man flying around on fake spider webs or release splendor of the eternal kind in the heart of the infinite God? Hmm. Let me pray about it. Ah, oh, it's working. Something's happening. This is your father. Guys, this is our father. He delights in us. He delights in us. He goes, behold, my son. Behold, my daughter. I believe he's saying to the grandstands of angels in Isaiah 42, he's speaking of the son, but they all know he's speaking of of the creation. He goes, angels, look. Behold, my children. He goes, 
my soul is moved by them. Of course it makes sense to the angels that they're supposed to take care of us. Because we move God. Have you ever thought like, so angels minister to me, I'm an heir of salvation, and they just kind of like are always taking care of me? That doesn't seem like a very fun job. Like, they're just watching out for, they're like supernatural bodyguards and more? That doesn't seem so cool. Well, they understand that pleasure is being released in the heart of God. Every little, t- I mean, I can remember, I can remember being just born again. And I remember not knowing how to pray, but going to bed at night, I remember being 18 years old and still half in the world and half, you know, in the kingdom. And I can remember, I knew I needed to pray and I knew I needed to read the Bible. So I was familiar with Psalm 23. So I read Psalm 23 every single night. And I prayed the Our Father every single night. And then somewhere I I read, one time I read Philippians 2, it said you're supposed to confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, and his name is above every other name. So I go, tonight, this is my prayer. I confess you're the greatest thing. You're above everything else. You're above the greatest thing in heaven, on the earth, and beneath the earth. You're, You're Lord. And our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. I just pray the thing, and I go, okay. You know, sleep. And I'm, here's me. I'm 18. I don't know anything. I've got, I'm not getting discipled. I got saved somehow. Who knows? And I'm just like, please help God. I mean, that's my heart. I'm going like, please help. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I'm, I'm saying to our Father, but I'm saying, please help. Guys, ecstasy is being released in the heart of the Father. I always thought he was kind of up there going, that wasn't enough. Little man, that's not going to cut it. You need to measure up. That's a lie. That is a lie. The truth is, every time you've turned your face towards his, his heart leapt. Every time you've ever moved slightly towards him it released ecstasy and splendor in the heart of God that far surpasses anything that we can compare it to in this life the truth is this God will intervene on your behalf and bring deliverance to you why? because you are the source of delight in his heart He will absolutely punish the enemy of your soul because you are the apple of his eye. This is our Father. This is our Father, beloved. This is good. This is so good. Let's just stand. Oh, Lord. Every weak glance and you fall in love again. Every weak look and you move in love again. Every word from our mouths And pleasure is released in you again. 
pleased right now, Lord. Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you, Abba. I love you, Abba. Let your heart be pleased. Take pleasure in us, in this place, right now. From this house, all day long, we want to release pleasure in you. Be pleased, God. Glory to you. You're wonderful. Be pleased. I bless you, Lord. Oh, I bless you, Lord. Give us the revelation that we bless your heart. We bless your heart. Could it be true, God, that you experience pleasure from us? Every lie against your nature, God, I'm asking break in with light that would shock it that would bring it down that we would see you as the God who receives pleasure you understand our words before we even say them yet you've been the most misunderstood of all God let us have understanding of you the way you feel the way you think what's on your mind what moves you? Whatever moves you, it's what I want to move. It's where I want to move. Oh, I want to touch you. I want to touch you, Abba. I want to make you happy, Daddy. You delight in the prayer of the upright, Abba. I want to give myself to what delights you.